I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but uh, so, you know, as me, me and Casey, you know, kind of team teach here, whatever, you know, we get a week off and et cetera, et cetera. Um, we, we do keep kind of score, you know, at like who works harder. And um, he pointed out in the beginning that last week he had to read like 31 verses. So, and this week I get to read six. So I might pick some random verses just so that I can keep up with him. Um, Okay, that's not going to happen. But if you want to, uh, we're in a series of summer, the uh, original playlist, we're going through the book of Psalms. Not everyone, um, but we are hitting a bunch of them. And so we're in Psalm 23 this morning, uh, perhaps one that you're pretty familiar with. It'll be up on the screen if you do not have your Bibles with you. But let me start reading from verse 1 here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You done reading already, Nate? Wow. I noticed how slow you tried to read that. That doesn't count, by the way. Doesn't count. Have you ever noticed how many farming metaphors there are in the Bible? There's a lot of farming metaphors, and it just kind of represents the culture of Israel in that day that there was just so much farming that they could just use that kind of language and everybody would know what they were talking about. I feel like living here in Madison, we should be able to do that just a little bit because you drive like two minutes south and it is just all farmland. Madison is surrounded by farmland. That's that's all you see. And in the Bible, they use so many farming metaphors, but you know what the most common farming metaphor is in all of Scripture? It's probably equal to every other agriculture mentioned in all of Scripture, is shepherd and sheep. Shepherd and sheep. Not just in the Psalms, but all over the Bible. Now, David, who wrote Psalm 23, was a shepherd. He has firsthand knowledge of what being a shepherd and what a sheep is all about. But what I find interesting about this is that even though David was a shepherd, he writes this as if he was the sheep. Which means that when we read this and that when we sing this, we are the sheep in the story. Now I don't know about you, but I could think of a lot of other animals I would rather be compared to than a sheep. You know, maybe something big or strong like an ox or a lion or something uh, graceful or beautiful or smart. A sheep is none of those things. A sheep is none of those things. Sheep, a sheep is one of the dumbest animals on the face of the earth, and that's what we are compared to over and over and over again. This is what a sheep will do. We'll just be out eating along, and it will just eat some grass and wander off, and all of a sudden it will just look up and realize that it's completely lost. A sheep will lay down and try to roll over and roll into a hole and get stuck upside down and will die there in that hole. A sheep will just do all of these things like constantly getting lost. They, they fall off cliffs, 
they are absolutely dependent on the care of a shepherd. When I think about it, now I know why we are compared to sheep all the time. Because that sounds a lot like us. I grew up on a farm here in Wisconsin, but I don't know a, a ton about sheep, so in preparation for this, I read a book that was written by a guy who was a shepherd. So I wanted to discover like all the ins and outs of what a shepherd and what, what the sheep were all about. And this might be a little bit confusing, but the guy's last name is Keller. It's, it's not Tim Keller, who li lives in Manhattan as a pastor up there. This guy is one who's been in East Africa, Canada, all over the place. He is a shepherd, okay? And this guy, his name is Philip Keller. So when I say Keller, Never in this sermon am I talking about Tim Keller, okay? I'm talking about Philip Keller. And in his book, Keller tells a story of the farm next to him where a tenant sheepman didn't care for his sheep. This guy was an absolute horrible shepherd. And he says that this guy was not concerned about the condition of the sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no, t no time to his flock, letting them out on their own for most of the summer and most of the winter, they fell prey to dogs, cougars, and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures gnawed away at brown fields and drank muddy, unclean water, and their shelter was scanty and inadequate. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. And Keller says, the sheep used to stand at the fence, huddled sadly, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on the other side. The owner simply did not care and ignored their needs. To him, they were just sheep, fit only for the slaughterhouse. And it hit me when I read this story that this is what Psalm 23 is all about. This, this is about David who stands on the side with these green pastures and these still waters, and he sees these sheep that are just standing at the wires just wondering what it would be like to live with a good shepherd. And David stands there at the fence, and he's speaking to these sheep on the other side. And he's telling him how good life is with the good shepherd on the other side of this fence. That's what Psalm 23 is all about. And David begins in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. First of all, I want to tell you that it is really hard to preach just these six verses in one sermon. I could have done a five-part series. And a matter of fact, it took me so long to write this because I had to keep cutting stuff out, and I probably should have cut out a lot more. So you're going to miss your lunch. I'm just warning you right now. David starts off admitting, the Lord is my shepherd. He has an owner. There's somebody who is in charge of him. There's somebody who has care over him, and he's not ashamed of this proclamation. As a matter of fact, he's, he's even just a little giddy about it, isn't he? He's thrilled. He loves the shepherd's care over him, and he speaks about this contentment. He is pleased to say he has an owner. For a sheep, you know, it's not like sheep just kind of wander around, and then all of a sudden they realize that they, oh, I'm in a, a green pasture, and there's a good shepherd that looks over me. That's not really how that works. If you are a sheep, um, an owner actually goes out, buys you, loads you up in a truck, brings you home, and while, before he even does that, he has to prepare the farm to make sure that you are cared for, that, that your well-being is looked out for, that there is water, that there is food, that there is shelter, that you can be protected from the elements of, of nature like predators and cold weather and hot weather. So there's a lot of preparation that must be done. Of course, if you're a good shepherd, this is what it's going to look like. My in-laws own a place down in South Carolina, and they have lots of land. And they decided that it would be a good idea to buy some chickens. 
And um, they went off bad advice that, that all you have to do is just buy some chickens and they will fly up into the trees and they'll roost and they'll be fine. So they did no preparation whatsoever. They just decided, hey, it'd be good to have some chickens and some eggs once in a while. So let's just go out and buy a couple dozen chickens and they can just run around on our land. It would be great. Of course, their population of the chickens start to dwindle every single day. And after a month, I think it was like the two dozen were down to two, okay? Because the, they were just easy prey. It was just an easy lunch for the coyotes there. They had no idea what it was like to be a farmer who would take care of chickens. Now, sheep are even more dependent than, than chickens are. It's like sheep were made for a shepherd. They can't do it on their own. They need an owner. Now, to switch us into human terms, I don't think humans like the idea of an owner at all. We don't like um, thinking of a Lord as our shepherd, that someone who's going to lead us, that's going to make us lie down in green pastures, that's going to lead us beside still waters. We, we don't want that. We want to be our own master. We want to do whatever we want to do. We want that freedom. We don't want somebody shepherding us and looking over us. So we have a real problem with this idea of Jesus being our, our shepherd. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. The alternative to following God is to be astray. To be astray from God and just run the other direction. Just rebel against God and try to be your own master. But when we reject the Lord as our shepherd, something else is always going to be our shepherd. Either that's going to be sin or that's going to be Satan, but we will always have a master. And Scripture tells us over and over again that you will have a master. You cannot serve two masters. You've got to choose. Either you are going to serve Satan and sin, or you're going to serve the Lord. You're going to follow the Lord in that. David understands something about the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. He is saying, I am bound to admit his ownership because he made me. He breathed the breath of life into me. He knit me in my mother's womb. He knows me better than I know my, myself. Who better to care for me than the Lord? The Apostle Paul who left a prominent position as a respected Pharisee to follow Jesus, wrote to the struggling church in Corinth, and he said, You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. You are not your own. You, you have an owner, and you were bought at a price. So not only did God make us, but he purchased us. We now belong to God. He purchased us. What do you think the price is that God purchased us with? How much do you think that you are worth? Well, if you've been coming to church for a while, you know that the price that God paid to purchase you was his son. That was a steep price. He gave up his own son. It's not like God just came in and said, okay, I want to I buy this person. Here's a couple bills. This is how much they're worth. He said, you are worth the price of the life of my own son. The other day, um, actually yesterday, Weston got this, what does that thing called? A wobble? Yeah, it's a wobble. It's like this big balloon ball bubble thing that you blow up, and it's, it's about this big, and Weston loves it because it bounces really funny, and, and all three of my kids love it. But Clara was playing on this thing the other day, and she was rolling across that, and all this I could picture, you know how when, with balloons, with like kids, you always get worried that it's going to like blow up and like go in their air pipe because kids die with balloons all the time? 
So I'm watching her like roll across this. And my, only, my thought is, she is going to pop this thing and she is going to die. And I am going to own this company. And that's, that's like the only thing I could think of. But as I'm watching this, and I'm watching her smile, and I'm watching her giggle playing on this wobble, I realize that, that if, if I own this company, like there's, there's no money in the world that could replace my daughter. There is just so much joy, like all the money in the world cannot replace Clara to me. That is the price that God paid for you. So we think about like God being our owner, it's, he purchased you with the blood of his own son. That is the steep price, and that's how much you're worth, and that's how much he loves you, that he would gladly give up his own son to save your life, to invite you in to his pen, into his flock. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That was the only way for us to come into his pen, was Jesus to, to lay down his life for us, to give his life so that we can be part of his flock. What we'll see David doing in these following verses is that he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he just lays down like all the reasons why that when, when Jesus is a shepherd, when, when the Lord is his shepherd, that, that he has no wants. It's not like he doesn't have needs. It's not like everything is, is just like peachy all the time. But when the Lord is his shepherd, he is in good care. And then he tells all the reasons why. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for my namesake. You know, when I used to read these, these verses, I used to think, okay, this is just talking about like if, if we follow Jesus and he's our shepherd, that we're just going to have good food and good drink. You know, he's just going to take care of us. There is a lot deeper meaning here. There's a lot more to this text than just that. And I was, as I was reading uh, Keller's book, he said that in order for a sheep to actually lie down and rest, to be able to sleep, four requirements must be met. He said they must be free from all fear, free from friction with other sheep, free from pests, and free from hunger. If any of these four are not met, a sheep will not lie down and rest. They are so skittish or so afraid of everything, like anything moves and they will not lie down. If they are fearful for anything, they will not lie down and they will not rest. So when it says that, that the shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures, there's a lot more to it than that. So let me just kind of break down these four because I think they all apply to what David is talking about here. The first thing is, for the sheep to lie down, they must be free from all fear. Sheep have many predators. Sheep are like on the bottom of, of the food chain. They gotta be afraid of cougars and lions. I mean, depending on where you're at, I could just start listing predators all over and I'm not gonna do that. But it's, it's a lot more than just fear of, of predators because they are so skittish. Like if there's like a dog, stray dog running through the property, the sheep will just go in hysterics and they will just run and trample each other. If a jackrabbit jumps out of a bush they will start a stampede and a sheep could be killed because this little jackrabbit just ran across. That's how afraid and skittish this sheep actually are. You know, I think our culture thinks that it's, it's pretty brave. We, we like to kind of stand upon that like, yeah, we're so brave, you know, we're, we're not really afraid of anything. But what I find interesting is that somebody just has to put a post on Facebook. It doesn't even matter if it's true or not. And people are running around like chickens with their head cut off, right? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Oh, my goodness. Look what's happening here. 
we are afraid of a lot of things. And, you know, there are many things that we actually should be afraid of in our culture today. You know, there's people who hate us, especially here in America, who hate us and want to see us destroyed. We have economic doom. Economy, we could be Greece in a few years. Okay, maybe that's not true, but we could. Terrorist, ISIS, around the world there, there are Christians who are being killed every single day. There's a lot of things that we should fear and that we could be fearful of. But a good shepherd will be in the field with a sheep. A good shepherd will, will take out his rod and will fight off predators. And David writes in other parts that, that he killed a bear and he killed a lion in order to protect his flock. He, a good shepherd puts himself between the predator and the sheep. It cares for it. In Israel, um, when they sang this song, it had to bring images of, of how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. When they, they had these predators all around them, when they were treated harshly, they had horrible owners, and God took Moses and he brought them out of Egypt. And God went before them and he led them through the sea, right? Um, he leads them through the promised land. He provides for them that he gave them food. Then he goes before them and he defeats their enemies. This would remind them that God has always cared for them. God has always protected them. They need not fear because God has always taken care of them. We have seen in our own lives, I mean, we have the good shepherd. We live on this side of the cross and we know that Jesus has gone before us. We know that we are looked out for. We know that we have the Holy Spirit. We need not fear. The Bible tells us things like, do not be afraid, for I am with you. So David proclaims through the fence, my shepherd protects me so I can rest. Second thing, for the sheep to lie down, they must be free from friction from other sheep. You know, in every animal society, there is like an established order. And um, chickens have a pecking order. Cattle have a horning order. Among sheep, there is a budding order. If you've ever seen this before, like a video on YouTube or something, or maybe you own sheep. Anybody own sheep out there? No, probably not. There's a, there's a budding order where they'll usually be like, um, it's usually a woman, but like a dominant you will just go up to somebody and say, you know what, you are eating on the area that I would like to eat. So I will just ran up when you're least expecting it and just butt you and it will injure the other sheep and, and chase it off or if they're standing in the spot where she wants to sleep, whatever it is, there is a dominant you. And so what, what happens is the shepherd must be on guard at all times. Because if there is something like this happening where there is a you that is always constantly butting the other sheep, they will not be able to rest. When they cannot rest, they will get sick. It's, it's just very important for them to be able to control that environment so that they're not constantly butted. Um, when I was a kid, I was in second grade, and I got special approval to go to the summer camp that was for third through fifth graders. So I was like the baby of this whole camp. And while I was there, there was this fifth grader who was kind of big and kind of chunky who, who just picked on everybody. But for some reason, he identified me and said, this kid is easy prey. I am just gonna bully this kid right here. And I remember like the first week that I was there that he took every opportunity to make me feel bad. And then there was, there was two different times in this camp, my first summer camp ever, it was awesome. 
Two different times he cornered me when I was alone and he would pin me down and he would like hit me and pinch me like really hard and as like a second grade kid and I, th I think about my son Weston going into second grade. You know, he's, he's just thin like I am and, and this, this bully would just sit down there and he wouldn't like hit me hard enough that, that I would get bruises or that I would bleed, but it was just enough to make me feel horrible. Like that I didn't have the strength, that, that I was weak, that I couldn't get this, this person off me. And for these two weeks I was at summer camp, like I would just walk around and I would always be on guard against somebody else. It was that, that he would, this kid might attack me. You know, I think all of us have experienced like bullying or something like that in our lives. You know, maybe it's in your workplace, maybe, maybe there's somebody in your workplace that is always trying to get the leg up and they don't mind like putting you down making up lies about you. Um, maybe you're someone who's actually experienced bullying like I have before in my life. Maybe it's a competing company against what you're doing. But all of us have faced that at some point of our life. And when David is speaking to these sheep on the other side of the fence, he's saying, you know what? Life doesn't have to be like this for you. I know life over there is not good. But over on this side, we have a good shepherd who protects his sheep. In fact, if you were a good shepherd, if there was a, a, a you that would continue to butt other sheep and make them feel uncomfortable, whoosh, that sheep was gone so that the rest of the flock could actually lie down and rest. So the sheep must be free of fear. They must be um, free from friction with other sheep and they must be free from all pests. Now, you don't really think about this one, but when a sheep is in a field, like oftentimes there's insects that are all around it. In fact, there's like flies that could lay eggs inside of their ears and this larva could actually kill a, a sheep. So what a shepherd would have to do is go around and make sure that there was insect repellent on there, um, maybe anointed them with oil on their heads so that the bugs would stay off of them. If you've ever been around bugs, and, and here in Wisconsin, the bugs are like the size of, of birds. Um, so you know uh, about mosquitoes in this state for sure. My dad owns um, a trailer, like a fishing trailer, out on the Mississippi River. And my brother and my brother-in-laws and myself often go out there and fish with them. And there's one fish that we've, we've had a really hard time catching, which is a walleye, which is the best tasting fish that you can catch on the Mississippi as well. And we decided one night that we couldn't catch walleye, so we needed to go out at nighttime. And so we went out, and of course, none of us wore any insect repellent at all. And fishing is supposed to be a relaxing sport, but when you are doing this, like every half second, it, it's not quite, it's not enjoyable. Just, just trust me with that. Now, if we were smart, or if my dad was a good shepherd for his fishermen, he would have <laughs> applied us and doused us down with mosquito spray, right? But that is one of the responsibilities of, of a good shepherd. It's, it's to make sure that they're not harassed by insects, to make sure that they're protected from that so that they can lie down and rest. I think in our own lives, we, we face these kind of irritations all the time. And I don't know why they bother us so much, but I think it's the little irritations that sometimes drive us the most crazy. And I'm sure that even while I'm saying this, you can think of, of one or two things in your own mind of, of how you have been irritated in this way. Have you been bugged by somebody in your workplace? 
You like how I use that, that word, bug? What is the antidote for that, for these small annoyances? Is there something that we can actually do that we can apply to our own life to be able to free us? The answer is yes. God has given us the Holy Spirit to bring us peace. Man, the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we have these small annoyances, we can just pray and say, you know what? Holy Spirit, just come into my life. Just help me overcome this small obstacle. Take away this annoyance from my life. God has given us a guide and a helper to be able to get through this. That's part of the, the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. The Holy Spirit can give us calmness and serenity in the face of these annoyances. This may be healing, relief, strength to endure, or even just feeling God's presence in our midst. The Lord gives relief to these annoyances. So the third thing David does is he proclaims through the fence, my shepherd relieves the annoyances of my life so that I can rest. Fourth thing, for sheep to lie down, they must be free from hunger. Of course, this is pretty prevalent in this this passage is in it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That already implies that the Lord has led him to a place where he can eat so that he will be filled in this. Now, if you picture Israel, um, how many people think of lush, green grass fields? Nobody, right? Like when I picture Israel, I think of a dusty, dry, arid desert. That's what it is. So to lead the sheep to green pastures, when David is speaking here, it's not like he led him to other countries in order to be able to do this. There was a lot of work that had to take place in order for the sheep to eat right. You know, they had to bring in water from, from other places. It had to be irrigated. There had to be seeds planted. There was a lot of work to be done in preparation so that there could be green pastures and so that the sheep could actually eat. When God rescued Israel from Egypt, where was he leading them to? He's leading to the promised land, right? A, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the same kind of imagery. God was leading them to a place where they would have abundance, where life would be good, where they'd have green pastures and still waters, where their, their needs would be met, where they'd be provided for, where there would be a life of joy and peace and rest. But God's care for Israel went far beyond their comprehension here. Like they had no idea when they heard of the promised land and a land flowing with milk and honey, like how many promises were actually involved with this. And likewise, you know, I think it does this for us as well. I think he provides all the good we see and even his grace shines on those who don't even follow him. You ever wondered why someone is blessed? It's because God's grace is prevalent throughout all, all the earth. There's so many times in your life and in your day, in any given day, where you experience God's grace and you don't even realize it. It's just God, God's goodness and grace that comes down on you. So David proclaims through the fence, my shepherd feeds me so I can rest. This is what He's bragging up his shepherd big time here. He's, he's looking at these poor sheep across the fence and be like, you know what, over here, there's green pastures, there's still waters, I'm protected, I'm provided for, I eat well. This is what life is like in the presence of the shepherd. You know, but with all these things, there is nothing that brings the sheep more confidence, more contentment, making it more easy for them to rest in the presence of the shepherd in their own life. 
when the shepherd is in the field with the sheep, they can rest. When the shepherd's presence is in the field, they can rest. I think it's the same thing in our own lives, right? When Jesus' presence is with us, when we feel him walking next to us, we don't need to fear. Usually when we fear, it's, it's because our relationship with the Lord isn't quite right. Uh, maybe we don't feel his presence there. Um, when the shepherd is with us, we can overcome all these obstacles. St. Augustine said, O oh God, you have made us for yourself, and our souls are restless, searching until they find rest in you. You know, if you're someone who's, who's struggling in your life to find rest, if that's been difficult for you, if you've been agitated by small things, and I just encourage you to go to the Good Shepherd. You know, you're searching for something, and, and God is there, and he has, he's given himself to you. He has allowed himself to be discovered by you. Just go and find him. Go to the Good Shepherd. If there's a sin that's keeping you from there, repent from that sin. Just go and find the Good Shepherd, because there is no master like him. There is no one like our Lord. So the Good Shepherd makes them lie down in green pastures, but the Good Shepherd also leads them beside still waters. Um, you know, sheep are used to, to living in a dry place, but they, they still need water, okay? They're, they're not camels. So a Good Shepherd would have to lead them to a place where there would be clean water. And I love this illustration that Keller uses in his book because he said that he was witnessing this other shepherd that was leading sheep down to this like bubbling brook of, of clean water and um, not like a lot of water that we have around here that is just lake water. But he's leading them down there and the shepherd is, is out in front of the sheep and going down to this water and some of the other sheep just stop because they find these, these little puddles and they start drinking out of these puddles. You know, these puddles are, are probably full of mud because of the sheep that have gone before them, probably full of, of excrement and urine from the sheep that have gone before them, but yet they are satisfied drinking out of these small puddles when there's a bubbling brook just in front of them. All they had to do was follow the shepherd, and the shepherd was going to lead them there. But they are satisfied in these potholes, these muddy waters. The Lord says in Jeremiah, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. How many times have we tried drinking out of wells? I know I've done this over and over and over again. It's like as soon as I, I get one sin figured out, it's like another one sneaks up behind me that I have to try to fight. But I find myself too often content in drinking out of these potholes instead of just following the shepherd down to the bubbling brook. I found myself just kind of spinning my wheels trying to fill these cisterns that won't hold water just so I can get a drink. And, and I, it takes me a long time sometimes to figure out that this is never going to quench my thirst. Sin will do that for you. Sin is like, like drinking sand. It's like you, you feel like you're actually drinking something, but it just makes you more thirsty in the long run. And sometimes we, we chase and chase after something that, that isn't God, that is a sin that is never going to satisfy. It's never going to quench our, our thirst. And we just spin our wheels and spend our life just chasing after this. Keller says in his book, and the quote will be behind me, there is always a percentage of people 
who will refuse to allow God to lead them. They insist on running their own lives and following the dictates of their own, own wills. They insist that they can be masters of their own destinies, even if ultimately such destinies are destructive. They don't want to be directed by the Spirit of God. They don't want to be led by Him. They want to walk in their own ways and drink from any old source they fancy might satisfy their whims. You know, it's like David is, is talking to these sheep, and all they've been provided for is these potholes with this muddy water, and yet they think they can be satisfied. And he's telling them, you know, just over here on the side of the fence, just over here, there are still waters. There is fresh, clean drinking water for you over here. Where are you at your life right now? You know, um, maybe if you're, you're a skeptic, you know, maybe you don't like the idea of, of the Lord being a, an owner or a shepherd over you. Um, maybe you have the wrong view of God. Maybe you think he's, he's a tyrant. Um, what is it in your life that you have been running after to quench your thirst? I can imagine that, that if you are a skeptic and you're sitting in here this morning, that there is something in your life. There, there is this hunger and this longing for something more that your life has just not provided for you. What is that thing in your life? What have you been searching for? What are you expecting to quench your thirst that can't possibly quench your thirst? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is what David is saying here. But as he's proclaiming the praises of the good shepherd to these other sheep, something really interesting happens. If you look at verses four and five, it actually switches persons. This, this whole text so far up to this point has been David speaking of a shepherd in the third person, and then he moves to the shepherd in the second person. And what happens when he does that is it's just flat out worship. Let's read it again just to get a little bit of the context. And since it's only six verses and it's really easy to read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then watch this, this turn upward from David. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David is just kind of really repeating everything he's already said. There's some new things we could pull out here if we had time to do that. But I want you home in time for dinner tonight. But he's really just kind of saying the same thing again. Um, he's not really speaking as, as a as a sheep in this, you know, he's talking more, even more of an intimate language of, of a host and an honored guest here, but he's really just saying the same thing again. He's really just reemphasizing that David is very confident in the Lord's care for him. 
Finally, David closes his psalm with his attention back on the sheep across the fence. And he says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, because of, of sin and, and rebellion in our own lives, it's, it's kind of like, just picture this with me, like we were all sheep on this other side of the fence for a while. Like there was all this barrier that kept us from these green pastures and these still waters from coming to the Lord as our shepherd. There was no way for us to be able to cross this. And, and the only remedy for that, the only way for us to be saved was for God to send us a good shepherd and enter Jesus. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus does in our lives, that he goes to the lost sheep. You'll, you'll read over and over again in the Gospels that Jesus came upon people and he says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The amazing thing to me about Jesus is if I was a shepherd and I came to people who were living in rebellion and being content and, and drinking out of these broken cisterns, I would have just turned and walked the other way, right? But yet Jesus has compassion on us where he should have turned and walked away, yet Jesus has compassion and he's willing to give his life for us. I mean, that's the gospel. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's no way we, we deserve it. But Jesus comes and he leads us beyond that fence. And if you're willing to follow him as your shepherd, he will lead you to those green pastures. He will lead you to those still waters. He will lead you to something that will actually quench your thirst instead of just making you more thirsty. That's the promise that we get. We were helpless, but he was compassionate. He said, the psalm says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our picture of eternity here. In Revelation 7 it says, And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The, sh the sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The last thing, and I'll close with this, is the beginning of verse six says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You know, if we are his sheep and we are following the good shepherd, this should be a mark of us. Um, first of all, because the shepherd will be with us, that his goodness and his mercy will follow us wherever we go. But because we are being fed and cared for and protected by him, that this goodness and mercy should flow out from us. And when this mercy and this goodness flows out of us, it's not like we just enjoy the green pastures and the still waters. Like, let me just go off on my own and just indulge myself in what the Lord has already provided for me. What happens when we experience this goodness and this mercy in our own lives? We do exactly what David's doing here. It leads us to the fence. It leads us to those who do not have a good shepherd that we might say to them, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. That's kind of our commissioning there. To go to the sheep that did not know the good shepherd so they might experience what we've experienced. Let's pray. Lord, we, we confess that, that we don't often like the idea of belonging to someone. Sometimes we struggle through this life trying to be our own master um, and we realize that, that it doesn't work. It's sometimes in that brokenness that we will actually turn 
that we will understand our need for you in our lives. And Father, if, if we're sitting here this morning and, and that's the condition of our own heart right now, where we've been unwilling to surrender our life, we've been unwilling to make you the Lord and, and Savior over us, Father, bring us to that breaking spot so that we might unclench the idols that have kept us prisoners, that we might be set free from sin and from Satan so that we might follow you. Help us to, to find that contentment, but help us to find that contentment only in you. The Apostle Paul wrote, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Lord, help us to find this contentment in you. Father, give us the strength and the perseverance to follow you and be our good shepherd. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.